You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. You know, this, uh, this morning we are starting a new series we're calling The Prequel to Christmas. And uh, super excited to start this series. And uh, uh, I love origin stories. I love getting to look at the background to things and the history to things. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a story I want to share with you that uh, took place uh, a little over 100 years ago. Uh, on a chilly October day in, uh, in, in uh, 1900, there's a woman by the name of Marie who was living just outside the capital city of Czechoslovakia in Prague. And she was preparing to say goodbye to her family for this long journey to America. Uh, her brother James was originally supposed to take this trip, but he had met uh, a young woman, fell in love with her, and just couldn't, couldn't fathom the thought of leaving her. So he gave his ticket to go to America to his little sister. And uh, she uh, would begin this long, unexpected journey uh, that day to go live with her aunt and uncle who lived in America. After landing in New York City, she eventually boarded a train and uh, headed toward this little town outside of the bustling city of Pittsburgh. Uh, she, uh, after settling in uh, to her aunt and uncle's home, uh, she would uh, meet this handsome young man by the name of Louis, who was also from Czechoslovakia. And, and the day that they met, he had commented to a friend of his that, hey, I'm going to marry that uh, Marie girl one day. And sure enough... Short time later, they would get married. Uh, they'd purchase a house nestled in the hillside of this small neighborhood in Irwin called Hontown. Uh, they would eventually uh, begin their family, have 13 kids when it was all said and done. Uh, and the seventh child uh, in that family was a young boy by the name of Frank. And he would grow up in that community, eventually marry uh, another a young girl from the area who grew up in Jeanette. Her name was Lois. And they'd build a house on the exact same street that he'd grown up in. Uh, he and his wife would eventually have three girls of their own, and while Frank, uh, as a young man, felt a very strong calling to be a missionary, he unfortunately never had the opportunity to fulfill that calling uh, as a missionary going overseas. Instead, he just got involved uh, in his local church, and his local church happened to be a church that his brother-in-law had started in his community. As he and his wife raised their three girls, God was at the center of everything they did and stood for as a family. As it would be, while Frank never became an actual missionary, all three of his daughters would eventually marry pastors. In 1972, the church that Frank and his family had been part of from the beginning went through a very unsettling season. Uh, through a number of uh, circumstances, disagreements, and conflicts, the church would split into two separate congregations. It was a very ugly, painful split uh, that would be really more fitting in divorce court than between followers of Jesus but, but the now two congregations would move forward separately. Uh, in the coming decades, both churches would minister and care for the exact same community, only apart. As Frank's girls would eventually leave that community where they had grown up, they would pastor uh, churches, help pastor churches all across the country, from Arizona to South Dakota, from Chicago to Chambersburg. The youngest of Frank's three daughters with her husband would eventually move back into the area and pastor a church in the same county that she had grown up in the town of city of Latrobe. 
Uh, they would have two kids of their own who both felt a very strong calling toward ministry, following in their grandfather and parents' footsteps. Their oldest son would eventually go off to college, and after graduating, would find himself journeying uh, back to the same community that his great-grandmother, Marie, had traveled over 100 years earlier. Uh, their son would serve as a pastor in that community, leave after a couple years, but return just a few years later, and his fate, or really the hand of God, would have it. He would pastor not the church his grandparents or mother had grown up in or been so involved with, but the other church that had split, the quote-unquote evil empire, as some uh, had called it, that was on the other side of town. And this brings us to 2021, and you may have figured this out, uh, but this isn't just some random story I found on the internet, although that would be cool. Um, This is really my origin story. If you want to know where I came from, why I'm here in Irwin, why I'm so passionate about reaching and serving this community, these are some of the components that have shaped why and how I pastor in this community to this day. And not just because my family has been in the Norwin area for over 120 years, but more importantly, that I've been blessed to come from a family that has made it, uh, made it a priority to seek God, to hear his voice, and to respond to what he says. And I would venture to guess that for each of you today, uh, where you are in life, what you're doing, what, you, what your marriage, family, or career all look like, have been shaped significantly, maybe not entirely, but significantly, by your own origin story, where your family comes from. Some of you are maybe longtime Westmoreland County residents like my family. Others of you have found yourself living in this area today for a variety of reasons. Regardless of those reasons, our origin stories are not something to be pushed aside or ignored. They are significant components in molding and shaping the man or woman each of us have become for, for both the good and the bad. And while we might not be able to to do this in this setting, I would encourage you this Christmas season to to take some time. Map out your family's genogram. If you're not familiar with what a genogram is, it's just a kind of map of your family history. There are a number of free services you can can find online, but but map it out. Not just to know like the structure and names of your family, although that's kind of cool, but really because this key idea that we're going to unpack these next few weeks it's this, where we come from shapes where we're going. You know, where we come from shapes where we're going. Uh, where you have come from, your origin story, where your family has come from, what you've come out of is going to shape where you're going. Does that mean that if you didn't grow up in church, you can't be in church? Absolutely not. It doesn't shape what's possible, because with God all things are possible, but, but it shapes where you're going and how you're going. Now, now Christmas has become many things to many people. Over, over these next few weeks, what we want to do is not really explore what Christmas is, is about and, and what Christmas has become today, but what it was from the beginning or really what led up to the first Christmas. What's the story behind the story? In other words, what's the prequel story to Christmas? What were the events and the happenings that led up to this magical night where Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph in that stable in the small town of Bethlehem. Sometimes we can operate with this idea that Jesus was born into this like really epic moment where, where there was pomp and circumstance, where the entire world knew what was happening and were super excited about it. Like it was the trending topic. It was the first uh, story on the news. It was a really big deal. After all, this was the long-awaited child that the whole world couldn't wait to be born, right? But that couldn't be further from the truth. 
Jesus wasn't born into opulence. He wasn't born into prestige. He wasn't born into popularity or influence. Jesus was really born into obscurity. Yet sure, shepherds would come to visit that night as a result of this angelic announcement. But shepherds were part of some of the lowest segments of society. No one, they weren't influencers. No one in that society would listen to anything a shepherd had to say. That wasn't the the, the person you would want sharing an announcement. So the question is, why would the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, this baby that would change the course of history, a birth that our entire calendar is based on, why would he be born with so little recognition or celebration in such an insignificant place? To understand why, we have to go back, all the way back to 700 B.C., At this time in history, in Israel and Judah, there were two prominent men that were being, uh, that were known as prophets. Now, we don't have the role uh, as a prophet so much in our society today, but in Jewish society at that time, there was this very clear role, uh, position of a prophet, and a prophet uh, was there to share the words of God with his people. So God would speak to a prophet, and then they would share in unique ways sometimes what God was speaking to the people. Sometimes it was a warning, a caution, uh, uh, a promise. They were essentially messengers of an almighty God to his chosen people. And and the two prophets during these years in in the 700s B.C. were Isaiah and Micah. Maybe you've heard of Isaiah. He's a more popular uh, prophet. He wrote one of the... the, the, um, major prophets. So in the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, we have major prophets and minor prophets. They're different books of the Bible. Uh, The major prophets are called major prophets only because they're bigger, not because they're more important. The minor prophets are called minor prophets because, of course, they're smaller. The the books are just smaller. So Isaiah is a major prophet. His book is bigger. Uh, And and Micah is a minor prophet. His book is smaller. Um, Isaiah's prophecies were mostly directed toward the royal family, while Micah, his prophecies were directed more towards the commoners. And in the fifth chapter of the book of Micah, which were the prophecies of Micah, there is a statement made that will become understood uh, in the coming years as a reference to the Messiah. Now, outside of accusing people today of having a Messiah complex, we don't really use the word Messiah very often, right? Like, you don't talk about the Messiah uh, to your coworkers, your family. Uh, and, and, and definitely, we don't understand the weight of what the Messiah meant to Jews throughout history. We look back on it and we hear the word Messiah and uh, don't think much about it, but, but there was a weight there. The Messiah for a Jewish person represented a divine deliverer, a man that would come and flee and free them from the oppression they often found themselves in, that would usher in God's ultimate will for his people, would, would make all that was wrong in the world right again. And, and from generation to generation, for thousands and thousands of years, every young group of Jewish men and women would be taught about this soon-coming Messiah. They would long for it as they were exiled in the cities of Babylon and Persia, They would pray for it as they endured the struggles of famine and drought. The Messiah was this figure that numerous prophecies throughout Jewish scriptures, what we know today as the Old Testament, spoke of and seemed to be a bigger-than-life figure, a a figure that, that could only be fulfilled by a person of deity because of the incredibly high expectations that Jews held to and the prophecies had established. 
Now, in 2021, it's really hard for us to, 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 to grasp how big of a deal the concept of the Messiah was. But, but here's a, an example. Think of it this way. Uh, it would be like a, a, having a person that we hoped would bring an immediate end to this pandemic, would bring about world peace in the midst of all the chaos and division that we're facing, and on top of that, would usher in a period of abundance and blessing. Think about that. That would be a pretty cool promise, right? That, that, that's a glimpse of what Jews held to with this idea of the Messiah. Sounds like a pretty good deal right now. Now, as a side note, uh, this is a description of the Messiah, but also as an archetype of the Antichrist that Revelation talks of, uh, which, of course, will only be an imitation of the real thing. So, so with all that said, the idea of the Messiah was a pretty big deal. And any one of the prophecies throughout Jewish history that would share about the Messiah would, would be memorized, repeated, and held on to by Jews of every generation, especially during difficult times. And then we come to this unique prophecy by the prophet Micah about the soon-coming Messiah. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, here's what it says. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small, can you say small? Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will uh, come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old and from ancient times. This seems like a, a contradiction when you think about it. Like this grand Messiah figure shouldn't come from an insignificant little place like Bethlehem. Like if we were to write this story, it would make a lot more sense that the Messiah would be born in Jerusalem. That was like the prominent city in Israel. <clears throat> Why Bethlehem? Why such an insignificant place? It'd be like saying, hey, rather than this big figure be born in New York City or Los Angeles, let's have them be born in Irwin. Let's have them be born in Jeanette. Let's have them be born in Hermony. Like, that doesn't seem like the place where, you know, would make sense. Let's go to the big place where there's lots of action and, 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 and a lot of uh, things are happening and taking place. And, and if you follow the story of, of the Christmas story, uh, a Christmas unfolding between Joseph and Mary and knew the prophecies, this statement by Micah would seem like a pretty impossible prophecy to be fulfilled. Like, how's this going to play out? I don't know if you've ever watched uh, someone's story, maybe watched a movie, and you're like, this is really complicated. I'm interested to see how this is going to play out because it doesn't seem like it's possible. It doesn't seem like anything good is going to come out of this. Uh, after all, you know, neither Joseph or Mary actually lived in Bethlehem, so how could a baby be born there? While Joseph's family came from Bethlehem, there was absolutely no reason to go to Bethlehem there was nothing of value or purpose for commerce there, especially for a carpenter, which Joseph was. And then you come to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, the, the Christmas story. And you see this story unfold. Here's what it says in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths 
and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, you may have heard those verses many times over. It's a Christmas story, the classic Christmas story. But step back and look what was transpiring in these uh, seven short verses. Something that was prophesied over 700 years earlier by Micah would be fulfilled in a seemingly coincidental way. Like, what are the odds? It just so happened that in Mary's ninth month of pregnancy, when she was pledged to be married to a man whose family was from Bethlehem, with absolutely no plans to travel anywhere because she's nine months pregnant, no one would travel, that a census is issued that literally requires them to now travel to Bethlehem. Like, crazy, like, you know, one in a million chance, it happens. Now, I don't know if you see the implications for our own lives and all this, but they're pretty huge. We often look for God in the big, massive moments. Or we look to God to do the big, massive, miraculous things, like the miracles where a lame person walks again, or, or, or a dead person lives again, where a blind person sees again. And God does move in those ways. He does. But can I tell you something today? God most often moves in the small, seemingly insignificant moments. The moments that, there are, uh, that are very easy to overlook. And this, this is true in our own lives, and, and I uh, many times don't see the hand of God at work until I look back. Until I look back in my life. And, and that's why where we come from shapes where we're going. Because when we look back, when we get, hey, where I came from is going to shape where I'm going, what, what happens is we see the hand of God. You know, the whole idea of hindsight is twenty twenty, And so often we miss the hand of God in the moment. And in looking back, I often see the God that I thought forgot me or overlooked, was overlooking me or walked away from me was actually at work in the little details of my life that I didn't even realize at the moment to fulfill this incredible purpose that I was hoping he would do in some big, miraculous moment. But instead, he's actually doing in a bunch of little, tiny, seemingly insignificant supernatural moments. And while it's nice to look back on the Christmas story and see how God so incredibly fulfilled each and every one of over 300 prophecies made about Christ's birth and life, what I think is most profound for us today, beyond the knowledge of how Christ was born, is really the truth of how God operates we often have this misunderstanding about how God operates. And that misunderstanding leads us to frustration, leads us to, 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 to question things, to be disenfranchised. And, and the, the thought about God's operation is God will move in these moments where he just speaks something and it just happens. We talked about this earlier. It does happen. But more often than not, that's not how it happens. More often than not, that's not how God moves. See, God moves more often in the small moments than in the big. He moves in these little, tiny moments. And, and if that were true in Jesus' life and origin, it has to be true for ours. That God is working in these small, seemingly insignificant moments. And what this changes for most of us today is our perspective on what's happening. We've become so conditioned to always be looking for the next big thing. And during the holidays, this is even more heightened. 
we watch the movies in the theater and all the Hallmark specials, and we assume the best moments are going to be the biggest moments. But we have to take this lesson from Micah, that God moves more often in the small moments than the big. And as the worship team comes today, what, what that means for, for today is some of the most special moments that you're going to experience this Christmas won't be the moments you capture on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. They'll be the moments that you could almost have missed if you weren't paying attention. You know these moments. You know, the, the kiss goodbye as your kid leaves for school, the short interaction with a discouraged customer at work, the, the checking, on your, checking out your groceries in the, in the store, the mundane drive on your commute. These moments where if you blinked, you might miss it. These moments where you're like, I've done this so many times, I do it mindlessly. I don't even think about it. And God is so often at work in supernatural ways in those seemingly insignificant moments that if we blink, we miss it. Because God works more often in the small moments than in the big. You see, the challenge of the Christmas story, and especially when you look at its origin, is God does his most profound work in those small moments. And this Christmas, I want to challenge you something. Let's give up on hoping for the Hallmark Christmas, looking for all the big, magical moments. I want to challenge you to to look for God in the seemingly trivial moments of life. Look for God in the overlooked moments, the easily forgotten moments, the times that could have otherwise simply been a byline of history. Because God isn't absent in those moments. He's actually most active in those moments. And when we can have an awareness of the little moments that God is moving, we can discover his hand at work in little details that we're looking for the big ones. But you see, Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem. Jesus entered this world in a seemingly small moment, a seemingly insignificant moment. So insignificant, there was nowhere for Mary and Joseph to stay. So insignificant, there was no welcoming party. So insignificant, the supplies weren't ready. So insignificant, there was no way they could have prepared for it. It was a last minute census that's issued and they changed their plans and they go to Bethlehem. Such a seemingly insignificant moment that changed the course of history. And God wants to do that in your life this Christmas not just in your life, but through your life. God wants to use you to step into a trivial moment and to invite the power and presence of God at work, at school, in your neighborhood, maybe just interacting with some other parents or someone you work with or someone you talk to occasionally. God wants to use you to invite his presence into an unimportant moment and make it important. That's how Christmas works. I know we love the moment where the snow is falling and the music's just right and everything's coming together and we're like, oh, here's the deal. This is the moment where like uh, everything comes together and this is what will make Christmas. This is the moment I've been waiting for this entire season. We set ourselves up for failure looking for those moments so often. Because rarely, honestly, rarely do we ever find those moments. Maybe once every few years. Everything magically comes together and it's great. But rarely do we find those moments. 
Because Christmas isn't about those moments. Christmas is about the moments where you're sitting around the table with your family eating dinner. Christmas is about the moments where you're able to just give a nice smile to the cashier who's been yelled at by a customer. Like Christmas is in the moments where you give a little extra to that, that waitress that's having a difficult day. Christmas is found in the insignificant small moments because God works most often in the small moments more than the big. And what I want to do for us is to help us remember how we find God and how we share God with our world this Christmas in those small little ways. And starting tomorrow, throughout uh, Christmas Day, we're going to go through a devotional. And uh, I love going through God's word together. It's a great opportunity for us to, to be challenged. If you go to christmas.calvaryorin.com, at the bottom, scroll down, there's a, a link to a version Bible reading plan. You can jump in, join us on this Bible reading plan. It's a great opportunity to, 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 to read God's word. It's not like you're reading a whole chapter every day. It's just a few verses. And to apply it, to allow God's word to change us and transform us. Because God's word is active. It, it, it can shape who we are and how we see the world. My hope for you, for me, for us as a church, isn't that we have these big grand moments this Christmas. We say, man, look what God did. This was incredible. Like this miracle happened. My hope is you could see God in the little moments. That you don't rush past them in the business of our life, but you're able to pause and appreciate the little things, the small things that God is doing, not just the big things that we're hoping for. Because guess what? Generally speaking, the big things happen one small step at a time. And the miracle of this Christmas might not be fulfilled until the 4th of July or a few years from now. They happen one small step at a time. Maybe your miracle is a loved one that you've prayed for comes to church. Maybe your miracle is a coworker that you've hoped to share faith with. You actually talk to them for the first time. Just talk to them. Maybe the miracle for you is that grumpy neighbor down the street smiles at you for the first time ever. That's a start. Let God help you see the small moments where he's moving, not just the big moments that we're hoping for. Let's pray this morning. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you for your presence. Lord, help us not look for those big moments all the time. Lord, let us see the little moments that you're moving and active. God, how you work most often in those small moments. God, I thank you. Thank you so much. God, that you don't just work on big stages. But God, you work in small, small moments, small, uh, insignificant, seemingly trivial times. Thank you, Lord. God, you work the little details. The little details that we overlook, you are working at. God, to fulfill your great purposes through our lives. Help us, Lord, not just be an observer of those purposes, but let us be a participant in those purposes. God, let us step in to those little moments to be used by you in our, in, in our world, our circle of influence, our circle of friends, our circle in our neighborhood. Lord, let us be an influence for your grace. I thank you for what you're going to do this Christmas. God, I thank you for the coming weeks, Lord, where we get to gather together and celebrate your birth and declare your word and see God incredible things happen. But I thank you just as much for the prayers that are going to be offered in a cubicle at work this week. God, for the, or the, the little extra that's going to be given as a tip 
to a waiter or waitress this week, Lord, for, for the encouraging words that are going to be shared, Lord, with a cashier at the grocery store. God, thank you for those moments just as much. God, that you are present in the mundane and the overlooked moments of life. Holy Spirit, empower us, equip us, give us courage and strength to step into those moments to be used by you. In Jesus' name we pray. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. 